0: of youth experience to talk about and family <laughs> all right Let's welcome Chris hey morning north point <clears throat> yeah thanks um, yeah we're we're just going to dive right in today we're talking about something that i'm i'm excited about and passionate about and uh, so uh, I, I, there's so many things that i think god is, is putting into my brain to say Tried to whittle it down to what I think is maybe most important this morning. Uh, in your worship folders, there is a, uh, a, a sheet, a, ha- a full-size paper. It looks uh, something like this, got a big circle on it. It says, Uncluttered Family. You're going to want that this morning. Uh, I think you're going to want that this morning. I'll, I'll confess it; I'm not a note taker. I kind of know where those notes are going to go after I take them. And so I don't often take notes, but hopefully this morning these will be uh, impactful to you. About three weeks ago we started this series called Uncluttered, and, and the idea being what a great time with the beginning of a new year to, to, to look at our lives and begin to peel back to unclutter Uh, who we are and how we do all the things that we do. And and three weeks ago, John uh, Elif threw out a number, uh, 361. Remember that number? He said there were 361 days left that were blank canvas pages for you to either, for us to either live cluttered chaos or or, or to live on point, to live on purpose, to live live intentional. But if if we just kind of live the day to day, however it works out, our lives tend to to automatically land towards cluttered chaos chaos true are we together so far awesome Uh, another number today would be the number 340 of 361 days three weeks ago there are 340 left and so maybe for the next two seconds as your as your mind just wanders a bit maybe the the place your mind wanders to is how am i doing how am I doing with, the, with those 21 that have gone by? Have they been cluttered chaos? Or, or really, are we working to, to begin to live on point and live on purpose and shave off some of the things that just take up so much of our time but maybe uh, aren't as valuable in an eternal capacity? I'll throw one more number at you this morning. It's the number 7,000. It's a big number. I know that. But 7,000 days. 7,000 days are the number of days that, that you have to parent your kid from cradle to college. It's just 7,000. All of a sudden, the number's not so big, right? And, and, and many of us are somewhere in that process of parenting our kid in those 7,000 days. This morning, we're going we're gonna to continue to unpack. Again, last week, John took a deep dive into, on the idea of uncluttering relationships, and we're going to go just a little bit uh, deeper this morning into a particular relationship. We're talking about family relationships, And and I'm just going to keep driving and landing towards this issue of your children and your kids because, quite honestly, I'm passionate about it. I've been working with families that are cluttered and unhealthy for 20 years, and and I've been working with families that are uncluttered and and healthy for 20 years. And and so this morning, my my hope is that there's something for you in this. matter of fact, if I could pause for a second and just just admit the reality here this morning, everybody's in a different situation in, in terms of family. Some of you guys are, are, we call you, pre-married. You know, you're not, you're not even married yet. And so for what we're going to talk about this morning, maybe you're packing that away in your brain for a date that's not too far off in the future. Because God willing, that'll be a plan that God has for you to get married and you'll have a family and you'll be coming back to some of these things. If you're here this morning and you're married, maybe you don't have kids yet. You're married pre-kids. And so this is the stuff that you begin thinking about now. So you're not caught uh, unaware or unprepared when you get that text from your wife that says, honey, I'm pregnant. but but you're already talking about these things and thinking about these things. Some of you guys are here this morning, and you're either married or maybe you're single by divorce or or a widow situation or or whatever life happened, but you have kids, so you're here, and either you're married or you're single, and you have children already. You've got a pen out, and you're taking notes. You're ready. Give me something. Give me something. And so you're right on the edge of your seat. And some of you are here and you're empty nesters. You've raised your children. They are out of the home and gone. And you're thinking, I'll praise Jesus. I don't have to pay attention for the next 30 minutes. I get one sermon that I'm free on. It's a free pass. And I say, I'm sorry. It's just not true. Empty nesters, you might be best positioned to speak into the lives of people who have kids. Because you've been there. You've done that. To be quite honest, we're looking at you. We're watching you. I'm a dad with two kids. I, I'm going. want to ha- I do this right, and so I'm looking for empty nesters who have been there and done that, because you can empathize with me and hug me and shake my hand and pat me on the back and kick me in the teeth sometimes and do all the things that I need. And so there is something in this for everyone. I got teenagers here who are going, "Wait, what? We're not having kids ever, right?" And and, and I just just for a second for for you guys that that are you're you're maybe further away from. Getting married, I'm hoping, in the, not, in the next couple of years or something like that. But but two things, I'm just talking to them, so give me a second. Two, two things, some of you guys are floating around back there too. Two things, one is this is like, like secret knowledge this morning. Like we're unpacking, we're opening the curtain and letting you know what it is your parents are trying to do. So don't use this against them, okay? I'm <laughs> so Just trying to tell you a little bit what I think I think parents are trying to do here. A- and, and, then, and then the other thing is we're going to end up talking about you a lot as teens today. And so while you're hearing me talk to your parents, really, really... You're hearing me talk to you too. Are You tracking with me, teens? This is kind of what you should be moving towards. Thinking about heading towards. Okay, you're with me, right? Some of you guys are with me. I see the eyes. I'm looking. Okay, awesome. Here we go. Um, we're gonna um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna jump to this. I, I quite honestly, I'm tempted at this point to give you ten simple ways to unclutter your family life, and that just seems oxymoronic to me. Here's more things for you to do to make life easier. That doesn't seem to fit very well. And so what I'd rather do this morning is I'd rather just look at a story in the Bible about a family that I think largely got it wrong. I think, I think they allowed their family life and their kid in particular to become incredibly cluttered. And, and, and because of that, the situation is, is, is tragic in a lot of ways. The, the story is found in Judges chapter 14. And because Judges is the book that we just don't spend a lot of time, but I'd say, man, if you have family devotions or if you're looking for someplace to land, if you're working in the one-year Bible and and that's just not enough for you, you're saying, oh, I need more, I need more. Judges is a great book to land in. Let me just give you a little background on Judges as you're finding chapter 14. The the, the way Judges works and what it's about is that Israel, the Jews, Hebrews, God's people, they, they, they are landing in this cycle where they are disobeying God. And so God allows them to be conquered by a foreign nation, which is not a pleasant experience. And then they suffer, and then they cry out to God, and then God hears them and provides for them a judge. And, and when the word judge is used there, we tend to think like an arbiter or somebody who, uh, who, who decides a court case or, or goes between two parties. And really, that's not the term that's used here. More like um, a, a political leader or maybe a military leader would be a good way to put that. A person that is put in position to rescue the Jews out of their captivity, okay? So God puts a judge in their life, rescues them out of captivity. They obey God for a cycle. A- and then usually the judge dies, and then they de- begin to disobey God. And so God allows them to be captured by a foreign nation. And then they suffer, and, and then they cry out to God, and God provides them a judge. And then they're delivered, and then they obey God until the judge dies, and then they disobey God. And then God allows them to be captured by a nation, and then they, uh, uh, they, they cry out to God, and then God provides... You, you see where I'm going? It's cyclical. It's, it's in a lot of ways... Sadly funny, because it's over and over and over and over again that this happens. That's the book that we're going to jump into. The phrase that comes out so often in this book, as Israel is is disobeying God, is this phrase, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. That phrase comes out over and over and over again. That's probably the theme of the book. Doing what was right in their own eyes. Eyes. We're going to meet a, a nation here. This is the bad guy nation that God's going to use to, to get uh, Israel's attention. They're called the Philistines. If you, you've heard of these people, right? I mean, if you've spent any time maybe running in church circles or you grew up in Sunday school or maybe you went to Sunday school once or, or maybe you watched the Bible miniseries on TV last year. or something, You saw this group of people, the Philistines. The Philistines is the nation that Israel is currently at battle with. Their name literally means to divide or to go through or to roll in or to cover or to invade. Are you getting the picture of these guys? Like their whole goal is annihilation. Like they're just going to run over this group of Israelites and destroy them. That's their whole thing. The Philistines' uh, worship was wrapped around this god called Baal, which is very sexual in nature and involves human sacrifice. And, and typically you don't want to sacrifice your own native people because that, that doesn't look good on the year-end reports. So it's easier to sort of sacrifice the captives. Right? So as Israel are, is being captured by these guys, there's a lot of that going on the philistines were incredibly dangerous people matter of fact most commentators say they were israel's most dangerous enemy these were scary bad people bent on the annihilation of god's people in the new testament you you hear that satan is called beelzebub Have you have you heard this word before it's two words Baal, zebub so so if nothing else it's safe to say that the philistines is satan's plan to destroy god's people tracking with me these are, God, these are really, really bad, ugly, scary, nasty people. The picture, we're going to talk about the Philistines as we read in this section, and, and the picture that I need to have in your head, and, and I'm an image-driven guy, so just go with me on this. Do you guys see the movie uh, Lord of the Rings, the trilogy? Remember the orcs? That's the Philistines. Every time I say that, I need that picture in your head. Gross, nasty, monstrous, hairy, smelly, horrid. Okay, are you with me? That's the picture you got to have in your head for this event to make a little bit of sense because it should terrify you. It should gross you out. We're going to meet a family in a second. Uh, The the man is named. His name is Manoah. The wife isn't named. We'll call her Mrs. Manoah. And and they've been married for a long time. They haven't been able to get pregnant. And and one day this angel shows up to her and says, Hey, um, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be this judge. He's going to be the deliverer of Israel. And and they find out later that there's going to be a lot of strength involved. He gets kind of this... this I don't know how to call it, supernatural, superhuman strength, and that's going to be kind of how God uses this guy to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Do you know who we're talking about yet? Samson, some of you guys know this story. Some of you guys have heard of this guy before. Very often we jump into Samson's life uh, partway in because that's when the good stuff starts happening. But I just want to look at his early, what happened in the beginning, he, Samson is finally born. They live on this border uh, uh, town uh, uh, right right at the border of where Israel is still, an occupied Philistine area. And apparently Samson had this habit of, of, because he was so close to this border, that he would run across the border and hang out in this Philistine area because apparently he was attracted to the women. And that should gross you out because you're thinking orcs. <laughs> You tracking with me? All right. We there? Judges chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, now Samson went down to Timnah. That was the Philistine area. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. That's where we get the picture. He probably did this regularly because it doesn't seem to freak anybody out that he was doing that, although it certainly should have. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. At this point, his parents probably should have put him over their knee or whatever punishment is used. Take away their iPhone or sentence him to incarceration or whatever. Parents probably should have stepped in. And then he says, now get her for me as my wife. (sighs) Maybe counseling is what would have been the right approach there. We we need to get you some help, son, because this is just beyond what we can understand or help into. Verse 3, but his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? So they begin to try and reason with him. A- and the, r- the rationale or their thinking or their reasoning is, hey, buddy, son, buster, partner, di- didn't, didn't our people make pretty enough girls for you? Are, they, are we did to make any pretty girls for you that you, you have to go get one from? He used the phrase uncircumcised Philistines, and what's really being referred to there is the religious practice. In other words, you've got to go get a woman from this group of people that is going to drag you away from God and God's call on your life that we've been sharing with you for a while. Are you really going to go do that? He says, go and get me a wife. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is, you see it, right in my eyes. She's right in my eyes, not God's eyes, not your eyes. She's right in my eyes. Verse 4 is a little commentary we get there about how God works through stupid people sometimes in horrible situations. We jump to verse 5. It says, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards at Timnah. So they go down to find this wife. Verse 7, Then he went down, Samson, and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. What a weird... What what in the world? How how did Samson and his family get to such a point where they were so cluttered, where the chaos was reigning so much that that this is his plan to go take a an orc wife? What what in the world happened there? Uh, I, I was writing down some stuff this week, and, and you have some fill-ins on that sheet in front of you. And if you're into fill-ins, I'd ask you please please tackle that. We're gonna just put some words in blanks because um, because m- maybe we're going at this like like this this morning. This idea of uh, how would I clutter my kid's life as if that was my goal? How would I clutter up my family life as if that was my goal? And I think the story here, this this little snippet of Samson's early upbringing, gives us a number of things. And so here we go. I just want to read them to you. We'll have you fill them in, and we'll make a few comments on them. But number one, here we go. If we want to clutter up our kid's life, what do we do? Number one, give them whatever they want, whenever they want it. Give them whatever they want. Whenever they want it. And really, in essence, keeping them so busy, they don't have any time to think about what God might want, but rather they can just stay right in their own eyes. We see this in Samson's story. Number two, do not correct their sin. I mean, it might hurt their feelings. Samson's parents, when Samson comes home and says, Hey, I've been hanging out over there. Nothing. Nothing. Hey, get me a wife from. Nothing? Nothing. Number three. Do not correct their sin. It might make you feel uncomfortable. That's why Samson's parents didn't, didn't go at correcting their son. It's uncomfortable sometimes, right? Number four, ignore the reality that they are not into Jesus or into God. Ignore the reality that they're not into Jesus. They're not chasing the God calling on their life. You know, it's. I, I'm a parent. It, it, we. I, I think, if, if if we're just talking for a minute here, honestly, as parents who, uh, for you that have a relationship with Jesus, we we want that for our kids, badly, and so sometimes when maybe it seems like that's going sideways or that's not going the a, a direction that we would see would be a healthy thing, it, we don't want to see that. We want so badly for our kids to love, Jesus that sometimes we just don't want to see the reality. And I can't think that Manoa and Mrs. Manoah were somehow uh, uh, happy that their son was doing this, but, but just to ignore the reality was a much more pleasant place to live for them than to embrace the challenge. So Simply ignore the reality that they're not into Jesus. Number five, be convinced and regularly explain to your kids that it is always someone else's fault. Buddy, didn't, didn't our people make pretty enough girls for you? Man, our people. You really got to get cracking on that or whatever. Be convinced and regularly explain to your kids. It's always someone else's fault. Number six, show them by example that what the world has to offer, like, like work or entertainment or sports, is way more important than what Jesus has to offer. We would never say that to our kids. But I've been doing this for a long time, and I've seen many, many, many families show that to their kids. And kids are smart, super smart. Teenagers super smart, and they pick up on these things very, very quickly. Number seven, um, make them, your kids, your number one priority in the family. Make your kids your number one priority in the family. Your spouse takes second place. All these things, certainly practiced, I think, by by Samson's parents, are are quick ways to to draw your kids into cluttered living chaos reigns, moving them away from their God calling on their life. (laughs) Excuse me. But, But we would say here, I think because we're all here on a Sunday morning, it's snowing outside, you made an effort to get here, you'd say, I don't want that. I don't want my kids to be cluttered. How do we how do we unclutter? What do we do? And, and I think John has done a great job capsulating on, on one verse over the last few weeks. It's that thing that Jesus says in Mary and Martha's home. You remember this? When when there's so much clutter going on, and Jesus says to, to Martha, 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 you worry about so many things, right? But only one thing is necessary. Or one thing is needed. And maybe, maybe I'd capture uh, another phrase that Jesus used uh, not too far distant from that. It sounds a little bit different. He's preaching this Sermon on the Mount, and the crowds and multitudes are listening to him. And right in the middle of it, he puts this little bomb, he drops it in there, and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God. The, the, the message version of the Bible puts it a little bit differently. Uh, just a different translation. This is how it's translated there. It says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes are translating the bibles is dangerous maybe i'd put it like this make it all about jesus <laughs> make it all about jesus H- how do we unclutter our family lives how do we unclutter our kids life i think we make it all about Jesus, this is not a checklist to make your life easier. It it doesn't look good on on a window where you can just make checks of the things that you've done for the today if you're a list maker, and and, and that's how you operate. That's awesome, and it doesn't look good on that. I know that. But the idea of taking your family and wrapping it around being where Christ's kingdom is and what Christ is doing, does make it'll make your family a bit of an oddity. It's not easy. It'll be a challenge. Everything, sports and school and dating and first jobs and vacations, they all take a back seat. Defining Christ's plan, Christ's kingdom for your family and living there. We, sometimes we say these words like seek first the kingdom of God, and we think kingdom, we think heaven. Oh, eventually that's where my, we're going to go when we die if we have a relationship with Jesus. And, and we're not talking kingdom in the sense of heaven. That's part of it. Eventually we're talking kingdom now like wherever the king is is the kingdom. And so when Jesus says seek first and we apply this to families, we go, hey, figure out what it is that God wants, what Jesus wants for you and your family and live in that. I don't know any other way to unclutter our lives and to unclutter our families' lives. And those 7,000 days that you have to parent your child from cradle to college, every one of those days is wrapped around figuring out what it is Jesus wants and living in that. And so I want to I end this morning with a challenge and a hope. And, and, and I'm hoping that this is, this is something that impacts me deeply and, I, and I'm hoping I'm coming across Um, open and clear this morning, a challenge. If you're fortunate enough, if you're here this morning and your family situation is such that you're fortunate enough to have a father, because I recognize many don't. My my wife grew up a single mom. She had to do double duty, man. She was carrying the whole load on her own. That is a challenging way to go. And I'm praying for single moms. I'm loving you. I respect that. What a hard road. But if you're fortunate enough this morning in here to have a father, to have a guy, I'm talking to the guys for a second. Because, because honestly, when it comes down to this issue of family and uncluttering your family and living on mission and, and and pursuing Christ's kingdom for your kids, men, this is your primary responsibility. Dads, this is your primary responsibility. It's not that 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 your wife or your kids get a free pass and they're like, "Woohoo, we can do whatever we want." No, they're going to be responsible as well. But you're the primary responsible. Why do I say that? How do I know that? Check this out. Genesis 3. You can turn there if you want to or you can just listen to the story because some of you know the story. The very first family that ever existed, it was like an issue with them right in the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. It says, uh, start in verse verse, uh, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, again, God had said, don't eat from this tree. That's the only rule. And they said, okay. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delight to the eyes and the tree was to be uh, desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. So who sinned first? A woman. We're all on the same page, right? And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Passive. Watching. Waiting. I don't know what he's doing, but he's there. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together made coverings for, their, for themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from his presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Who, who did God call to first? Okay, we're, we're logical creatures. When, 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 when a group of people do something wrong, we, we go and talk to the person who started it, the person who did wrong first, right? Simple. When a, when a cop pulls you over, it's you and your friend sitting in the passenger seat. The cop talks to the driver first. This is like logic, right? You're responsible. You're behind the wheel. It's interesting because in this situation, Eve sins, the woman sins first. But God comes to the guy first. Where are you? Verse 10. It says, uh, and Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I told you not to eat? And the man said, you know what he says? It's the woman you gave me. Wow, what a blame game there. He doesn't even blame Eve. He really blames God. So so when I say, men, you're, you're responsible, uh, I'm saying, I think God says, men, I'm responsible. You're responsible. That, that one day when you die and you stand eyeball to eyeball with Jesus, he's going to say, how did you leave that family that I gave you? How, how, did, you, how did you minister to that family that I gave you? How did you shepherd and love that family that I gave you? And, and I, apparently it's not good enough to say, well, I gave it all over to the woman you gave me. It didn't work very well for Adam. As I was thinking about this this week, this is the paragraph I wrote. I just wanted to read it to you. It says, The sin recorded here is more than just disobeying God by eating a fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. It is man disobeying God in caring and leading his family. I know what you're thinking, guys. I'm way too busy to lead my family more. I'm trying to provide financially for them. I say, No, you're not. You're too cluttered. You want better kids? Unclutter your life and lead. You want your kids to obey and respect you? Unclutter and lead. You want better peace in the home? Unclutter the junk and lead. You want better sex? Unclutter and lead. Men, you're called to be life givers. And when you allow a hundred other sources to breathe rotten life into your kids or your family, you allow clutter and you abdicate your responsibility. These are, these are heavy words. These are heavy words for me to hear because I'm a guy and I'm responsible and I'm a dad and I'm a husband. And someday I'm going to stand eyeball to eyeball with Jesus and he's going to say, Chris, what'd you do with, with your family? I'm going to say, but I was a pastor. I was working with other people's kids. It was the job you gave me. Didn't cut it for Adam. It's not going to cut it for me either. Right? I, I want to finish with a hope because I I, I think there is hope. And, and if you saw yourself in the list that we put up there or you're seeing yourself in Adam's picture, I want to say that there's hope. It's not too late. Maybe maybe you think, man, but, but I, I don't have any time left with my kids. They're out of the home or they're right at the cusp of leaving. And I say, don't. Don't, don't give in to fatalism. Like there, is, there is hope. It's interesting because if you know Samson's story, the rest of his story, he gets caught up in all kinds of stuff. He gets caught up with actually a different woman, lots of women, but he lands on a woman named Delilah who, who, who basically ushers in the Philistines so that they're able to capture him and they, they make him weak by cutting his hair and they take him into prison and, and, and they put him in chains and then they just bring him out to entertain them at their parties. You know, whenever they're having a big old party, they bring Samson out like a circus monkey and he just, whatever, dances for them or whatever. And they go, ah, look at us, we're so amazing, Samson couldn't even capture us. And at the very end of Samson's life, Samson finally comes back to his God calling. Like like the effort that mom and dad had put in and, and, and the way that God had been working with him, because he's probably in prison now for a few years, two, three, four, five. And at the very end, Samson comes back to reality and comes back to what he knows and comes back to his God calling and and literally gives his life up for it at that point. And so I say that there is great hope to lead our families in ways that are uncluttered and and healthy as opposed to letting our families just, just become this cluttered chaos. All about seeking Christ's kingdom first. All about us stepping up as guys if they're so blessed to have a dad in the home. There, there's a sheet here and the band's going to come out. We're going to finish with a song because there's a couple things that are happening. One is uh, on the back of this sheet that's there, there's some stuff because we're, we just talked for a few minutes together. But, but I, I really wanted to provide just some other options. If you're thinking, oh, this is me, but I'm not, I'm not entirely sure where to go with this. Uh, there's some books. There's some websites. There's just a couple more thoughts on there. And if any of that is helpful, that's awesome because what we really want to do is provide hope and help. The, the other thing that's happening this morning is I, I don't know what God is doing in your hearts. You know, I stand up here and I'm going to share a couple things that I think God is working on in me and I'm looking into your eyeballs and, and I don't know what God is doing in your hearts. But as this song finishes us out in terms of worship this morning, maybe there's some business that you need to do or you want to do with the Lord. Maybe it's just a time to come back and commit again, families, to leading in ways that are uncluttered and healthy. Maybe it's a time... For, for, for you guys that, that, that are just on the cusp of having kids, maybe you're newly married or not married yet, to just start praying that God will work these things into your hearts. So when the reality comes, when the time comes, if, so, if God so wills for you to have kids, that, that you would be the family that's, that's leading that charge. If you're a, an empty nester here and you're like, my kids are out of the home, maybe you're looking around already this room and you're saying, is there anybody here, Lord, that I just need to speak life into? And I could put my arm around and help to lead or to coach or just pray for or to be with. So in these next few minutes, as we just finish out with this song, that would be my, my request, that it would just be between you and the Lord as you're singing the words to the song, or maybe you just need to be here in the front, or maybe right where you're sitting. And it's just a moment between you and the Lord as you're thinking about the